Welcome back to the Beef Bits Podcast. You may have noticed we missed last week. It was fall break here and also a busy week trying to get things wrapped up. But we're back this week with my colleague, Dr. Les Anderson, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist, University of Kentucky, and Reproductive Physiologist. I hope you enjoy this session on beef cattle management as it relates to the cow herd and considering some of our breeding decisions and management things that we might need to do as we move into the fall. Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Les Anderson. He's an extension uh, beef cattle professor at the University of Kentucky. Les, how are you today? Good, Dr. Jeff. How are you? Hanging in there. Have you uh, been taking advantage of some of this dry weather? Uh, I don't know about taking advantage. Been kind of, you know, was supposed to get two inches of rain yesterday or this last weekend. We didn't get jack duty, so we can't. We're getting, uh, we're getting kind of desperate here for rain, brother. Yeah, we are. The only positive thing that we have is uh, there seems to be decent hay stocks across the state this year, with a lot of folks having rain early in the spring and through the summer. So that's the only saving grace that we have right now. Well, kind of helps the corn dry too. So the bad guys trying to get the uh, corn shelled, they're able going to be able to. I, See, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of corn getting shelled across Kentucky here in the last week or two. That's been a problem in the fall here, uh, you know, the last few years. Yeah, that is true. A lot of corn and a lot of beans coming out. So I thought today what we should be thinking about is um, as we're moving through this kind of I would say mid-fall period, you know, we're in October, that um, there's a lot of things that begin to kind of take place on beef cattle farms and um, from from weaning to uh, fall work on the cow herd and then we've got fall calving cows that are wrapping up calving so maybe what we should do is just kind of begin thinking about some of the management uh, issues that a lot of folks may be working on this time of the year and uh, particularly when we think about the cow herd and maybe we'll just start off with um, this discussion of kind of the the quote unquote fall period, thinking about these spring calving cows and uh, what management uh, items, some of the the things would be going on in these herds and on these farms. So, from the reproductive standpoint, which is your area of expertise, um, what are some things that we should be thinking about doing? Yeah, let's uh, let's start with the fall cows. Because uh, uh, the reproductive portion of those are gets rapidly approaching, depending upon uh, exactly when pro- people turn their bulls out. But uh, it's funny uh, we bring this up because yesterday I spent half the day out at the farm uh, prepare, helping prepare our heifers and cows for this upcoming fall breeding season. And certainly uh, the very first thing we need to think about is breeding soundness exams for our bulls. Um, I, it's a great, we're 30 days out, 30 to 40 days out, uh, depending upon, again, if you're going to turn out November 20th to somewhere around December the 10th, um, need to get those breeding soundness exams done. Uh, just, uh, call, contact your local veterinarian and, uh, schedule an appointment. Those things run somewhere between, uh, I'll say 40 bucks and 80 bucks. Um, and the breeding soundness exam is our only insurance 
against the complete failure in reproduction. Um, if we had that kind of insurance on a lot of things in life, we would easily, quickly, and without a second thought, buy it. But for whatever reason, breeding soundness exams are not uh, deemed very important by many of our cattlemen. And uh, I get calls every year, multiple calls every year, Dr. Lemcooler, um, about failures in breeding. And the first place we go was the bull. And 90% of the time, it was a bull failure. And those uh, can't be completely eliminated. But, by, you know, by golly, quite a, you can take away quite a bit of the risk uh, by, by ensuring that you get your breeding soundness exams done in your bulls. and. It's really a, the best practice is to do it every single year, okay, or right before every single breeding season. Again, just to make sure that you're not turning out a bull that's totally infertile. Second thing we need to be doing uh, as we prepare for the uh, uh, upcoming fall breeding season is we've got to start getting our vaccinations in our cows. Um, hopefully. You know, we're sitting here October 13th. If we started September the 1st, hopefully 60, 70, 80% of our coward is, has gone ahead and dropped their calves and, and, and they're in a perfect position for uh, vaccinating uh, and preparing for the breeding season. Um, for those cows that have calved, if they have been exposed to modified live, uh, at some point in time in their life, now is a great time to, to give them their pre-breeding boost uh, for the modified live vaccines. And, of course, those cover BBD, IBR, PI3, the, you know, the, the whole respiratory disease complex. Um, one might think that, you know, covering a respiratory disease complex is kind of silly when you're thinking about getting cows bred. But the simple fact is BVD is the biggest cause of abortions and breeding failures other than a BSE in the state of Kentucky. Um, and we have had quite a few experiences, Dr. Limcooler, where folks were utilizing a, a, a good and implementing a good uh, uh, vaccination protocol with killed viruses. And they would have a heavy exposure. And the next thing you know, they're getting a lot of these early pregnancies shed and breeding seasons are wrecked because even though we vaccinated, our immunity level was not, our challenge was uh, higher than our immunity. And so, uh, you know, we have moved to recommending modified live and everything that we can do it safely okay and so if you start your uh herd immunity um with your yearling heifers and you as soon as you pull them off the cows weans weanlings backs hit them with their first round of modified live you know of course read the label boost if needed and then come back at this time for those heifers we've chosen as replacements boost them again now with that same vaccine and then they're set 
for the rest of their life. And if they're calving on time, calving early, you can give that boost um, very safely without any risk of causing a PI or any risk of causing that cow to, uh, to abort uh, at the wrong, you know, uh, you know, here, here at the end of their pregnancy. Um, so we absolutely would like to get <clears throat> those vaccinations in. If you don't have uh, a cow herd that's been exposed to a modified live vaccine uh, previously, then uh, a good kill vaccine will work. Um, again, we, we need to get this done minimum 30 days before we turn the bulls out or 30 days before we synchronize an AI. And that's about now. I mean, it's just that's the timing right now. And so yesterday when we were working cattle, we, we hit them with a, uh, um, with Bovashield Gold. Not that I'm trying to say that Bovashield Gold is a better uh, vaccine than any others. We don't support any particular company. That's just happened to be what we use at that time. Now, I've got a, I think Kirk got a great deal on it. That's what it, what it ended up happening. And, um, and then, uh, then of course, we hit them for Lepto as well um, uh, for our pre-breeding work. For the heifers uh, that we went ahead, uh, we, we did their final uh, pre-breeding targeting work. Um, we weighed them, of course. Our target goals, uh, Dr. Lemcooler out there for our heifers, is we want them at 13 months to be somewhere in that 750 to 850 range at a body condition score of five and a half. And uh, we had two heifers that were light and three heifers that were heavier than that. Um, we did pelvic checks. Um, every hef we heifer uh, passed their pelvic exam. What we wanted want to do is we want our our based upon our experience with our calving season our our birth weight cut off is 70 pounds and so we need our heifers to have a pelvis adequate for them to have a 70 pound calf without assistance and so if we get a um, pelvic area score of 180 and that heifer weighed 800 pounds at 13 months of age, the conversion factor there is 2.3. So we divide 180 by 2.3 and we get 76. And that, that means that she can have a 76-pound calf or lighter, of course, without having uh, having to pull it. And we've used that method now for 20 years and it's worked really well for us. And obviously uh, with the heifers, you also go over feet and legs and that kind of stuff. but. Um, you know, uh, we had a pretty successful day yesterday. The heifers were all cycling, and or at least really close to it, and uh, they're ready to get their last little bump of nutrition as we as we uh, approach the breeding season. We we breed them around November the twentieth, and um, so we're going to get a little flush in them here right before the breeding season starts, and uh, and then off we go. All right, so you shared a whole lot of information there in a short period of time. Let's back up and uh, let's just, one, make sure everybody understands what is BSE and, and what is a BSE involved? Breeding soundness exam uh, is uh, a BSE. Um, that, that process is a bull check. Make sure that the bull has 
the proper structure, proper physical characteristics, and fertile semen so that he can, so he has the opportunity to breed a cow if he chooses to. It does not test libido. So you could have a perfectly fertile, perfectly fine bull that's just sitting out there doing nothing. But we, we don't have a test for libido. And so, you know, there's nothing we can do to completely eliminate all breeding issues in bulls. But the breeding soundness exam does tell us within the high 95 to close to 100% accuracy on whether that bull's totally infertile. And totally infertile bulls don't get many cows bred. So a lot of folks are buying bulls and, and maybe they're buying 15, 14, 15 month old bulls and putting them out. What are some other things to consider when buying bulls to get ready to put in with the cow herd to breed them? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the first place I go is BSE. And most of the time, if you're picking them up, uh, the, the seller will have the BSE uh, performed for you. Uh, particularly if you're going buying them from a seed stock sale or something like that, there uh, you know most of the bulls that go through there have BSEs, and if not, of course, get the BSE. The other thing I want we want to make sure that they're in, in adequate condition. I like to see bulls around a body condition score six uh, as we prepare them for the breeding season, particularly younger bulls. Uh, Doctor Lim Cooler, like you were. Describing those 15-month-old bulls, I mean, one thing that you've got to keep in mind uh, for the um, younger bulls is that, you know, they have the tendency to uh, not be very efficient at what they're doing. And they spend a lot more energy trying to breed cows than a more mature bull does. And so they're going to need a little extra flush as they head into the their first breeding season to help cover them. Is depending upon how many cows you put with them, those suckers are going to be kind of busy, and they're they're not going to think too much about eating and keeping their body weight up and and so forth. And so, um, I've seen uh, many a young bull uh, pretty much melt to near nothing uh, when you put them out in the in the breeding pasture for the first time. To cut help to help that guy out a little bit, I'd probably just turn him out with no more than twenty cows. And he's an, an inexperienced bull, and that'll help limit some of those problems with them uh, losing uh, weight rapidly and then uh, help him have a manageable number of cows to be able to, to, to service in a 70, 75-day window. So now we kind of got the bull side covered then, and um, one of the things you mentioned as far as the cow herd management was making sure they're up on a herd health immunity standpoint do we need to worry about that in the bulls absolutely absolutely i we hit them with the same vaccines i use in the cow herd i'd li- I like to see uh um the respiratory disease complex and lepto boosted in the bowl is uh, vibrio still a concern in the the breeding stock it it, it is um but it's pretty minimal, honestly. Um, the cost of Vibrio is really inexpensive. And so 
Yeah, and I don't really know if you can actually buy a lepto vaccine without Vibrio included. You might be able to, but they're pretty limited. You'd have to really look hard to find lepto without Vibrio. And so, yeah, we uh, we, we typically always throw that in there uh, for the uh, uh, health protocol. But, you know, I, I in Kentucky, and I've been here 20-some years, I've not seen one single issue with Vibrio. Now let's jump back into these heifers and you were discussing a few things on the heifers and, um, you know, you were mentioning doing some pelvic scores and going through some of those numbers and just to kind of clarify that, that that's really not a tool that we would use to select for it's, it's used the other way. Correct. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you got to remember that, Pelvic area is highly correlated with frame size. And so bigger heifers have bigger pelvises. Bigger heifers also have bigger calves. And so what we want to find are females that are, that are going to have problems calving. And so you're really kind of looking for that discrepancy between the size of the heifer and the size of the pelvis. And um, there we, we, we have a, uh, Gene Deutscher at the University of Nebraska spent his entire career um, breeding yearling heifers and and measuring pelvises and determining calving difficulty. And he developed a very simple convert table for you know conversion factors that that give us really good predictive information on. Um, pelvic area and the the you know the relationship between calving with ease and, um, and that uh, table is a little. I've got a couple of pubs, uh, extension pubs that we can get that out of. Um, but basically, for I check every heifer at thirteen months of age. If they're a seven hundred pound heifer, it's a two point three. If they're an eight hundred pound heifer, it's two point or seven hundred is two point two, eight hundred is two point three. 900 is 2.4. And if you got a 1,000-pound yearling heifer, it's 2.5. Okay? And so then you just take the pelvic area, you divide it by that number, and that tells you how big a calf that heifer can have. And that 70 really seems to be, a uh, you know, I've implemented that all across the university system. And then we I do it at several farms that are in the Ibotta, uh, not Ibotta farm, in the farm program. Um, and, um, that seems to be a really good birth weight cutoff for our heifers. And so, uh, anything that, that is above 70, we keep anything that's below 70, we call, and that seems to work out pretty well. So you mentioned doing these, uh, about 13 months of age. If, if I've got some calves that I'm, you know, getting ready to wean and I'm not going to hold them very long and I want to, you know, just peel out my heifers is. Can I do a pelvic area check on those heifers at that point in time to make an initial screening? They, they, there are a number, you know, you can do them as young as six, seven months of age, all the way up to 18 months of age. There, there are conversion factors for, for heifers all in that range. So, yep. A little tougher. Absolutely. But it's, it's a good way to maybe do an initial screening and instead of carrying, uh, you know, 
20, 30% more than you might need, you could reduce some of those down that may not make it right away. So let's, uh, let's think about this then uh, on these fall cabin cows, you mentioned got a herd health program up, they're ready to go. Um, you know, your, your time frame of trying to get these cows bred, um, a lot of times if folks are thinking about fall calving, when are you thinking that calving season's going to kind of start? When is it going to end? And then when are we looking to expose those cows to the bulls? Well, for the fall season, um, typically the earliest I really see people begin the breeding season is November the 20th. That equates to a September 1st um, start of the calving season. Um, bluntly, it's a little early, um, just, uh, just because it's still kind of hot here in August. And, um, even though we want our cattle to start on September the 1st, calving, you know, uh, gestation length varies up to two weeks. And so you'll have cattle calve that, that are calving normally that calve two weeks before the breeding seed, breeding expectation all the way up to two weeks after the breeding or the calving prediction date. And so with that September 1st, we can actually have calves very normally second week of August. And that, 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 that's really kind of a rough time for us to have um, calves because of the heat situation, the fly situation. Um, and, you know, out at the farm, there in Woodford County, we used to to target um, our cattle uh, calving first, and right at that first of September, and our we'd have about twenty percent of our yearlings would calve August tenth to the fifteenth, and if we lost any calves, we lost one of those. And then once September first hit, we wouldn't lose any more calves, and so we've rolled back our calving just a little bit so that we start on September the tenth, and um, we uh we've gotten away from a lot of those problems so somewhere around uh december 1st i think is is a is a very good time to start the breeding season to equate to about a september 10th to 15th um beginning of the calving season which puts us closer to the to actual fall uh if i you know it's can still be a little bit warm at that time of year here in Kentucky, but uh, it seems like our flies normally are a little bit less, and then the heat typically is a little bit less, and we have fewer problems that way. And then, um, as you think about it from that standpoint, you know, the other part of that is, is you know, our cool season forage base that we have here. August is usually kind of dry and hot, and we begin to get in September and we might get normally a little bit of precipitation to get some grass growing. And, you know, really if we're going to try and stockpile some grass um, and we need that month of September and October for the forage to grow. And then, you know, being the nutrition side, these cows are going to hit peak lactation six to eight, six to maybe eight weeks after they calve. That's when their highest nutritional needs are going to be. So, you know, really, you know, if, they're calving sometime mid-September. That allows us to match up that stockpile fescue in, in November timeframe to their nutrient needs. So that works pretty well for us. 
Yeah, um, back just a little bit, nearly perfect. Exactly. Well, let's, all right, so let's think about these fall cabin um, cows then, and we're getting ready to, to put them out uh, with the bull here in November. Um, how long do we want to leave that bull in with the cows, Ruff? I mean, are you normally right. going to say till you wean them? <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that's the norm, I guess. But uh, I would sure like to see those bulls uh, uh, in for uh, 70 days. If you don't have an adequate bullpen or another place to put the bull, um, you can leave him in there. Just make sure you get those cows preg checked and you calve cows that are going to that are not going to be calving within your profit window. You know, uh, honestly, our, prior, our most profitable window are those cows that calve in the first 40, 45 days. Um, it's tough to get a higher percentage of our cows to calve that quickly, but those are the calves that you make money off of. And those, I mean, we have tons of data uh, in from Illinois, from Iowa, from all of the uh, the IRM economics information from across the country, and it's those cows that calve in that first those first two breeding the first two uh, calving windows that that allow the most opportunity for profit. And so, uh, it's probably going to sound weird. I don't really care if the bulls in with the cows as long as. We're not keeping those cows that he's breeding or that we're doing something to make sure that a majority of our cow herd gets pregnant early in the season. And that if you, I mean, don't want to leave the bull in and you don't have a separate bull pen, um, there's one more option, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. Throw, throw that sucker on a trailer and take him to town. Take him to town. Most of the time on the farm program, the first thing I do is, and a majority of the farms that we work with on that, you know, are year-round calvers, and uh, the day after I'm there is the day that bull's sold. Uh, they take him, put him right on a trailer, because you can't control the breeding and calving season um, with, with the bull in the pen most of the time. And once you get it under control, then you can start thinking about, you know, leaving the bull in with cows longer and and folks that are running split seasons so you got spring calvers and fall calvers and two nice controlled situations um rotating that bull from the spring group to the fall group and the fall group to the spring group actually is pretty logical and it's an easy way to manage your bull but they also do a really good job job dr lem cooler of making sure that their breeding seasons in each of those uh, calving windows are very short. So, yeah, that's a good point. All right, so uh, we've gone through and uh, we've kind of done our normal process of getting the bull in, and they're going through the breeding uh, period. And um, as we think about um, maybe shifting toward uh, that preg check, you know, you mentioned if you're going to leave the bull in. Think about getting the, the cows pregnancy checked. What are some of the options that we have today to pregnancy check these cows? Well, first option is to call your vet, right? And if your vet is comfortable with preg checking and and pretty uh, pretty, uh, you know, you got a good herd 
client relationship or vet client relationship with your veterinarian, just get a hold of your veterinarian, get them out there and let and let them uh, get your palpations done for you. Um, when you're palpating or using transrectal ultrasonography, you get not only a confirmation of pregnancy versus uh, and 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 or whether they're open, but you also get stage of uh, of pregnancy. And so you can group your early calving cows and your later calving cows into management groups that'll help uh, help you uh, uh, maintain a little bit more diligent watch of your cows as they go through the calving season. It just makes it a little bit easier. You know, I know you like to see cows right after they calve get a little bit extra nutrition. Um, and so if you've got those cows calving in grouped based upon calving, then that, those early calvers can get that extra nutrition they need. And as cows move through the calving season, you can, you can continue to give the cows that need the extra nutrition, the extra attention that, that, that their bodies require. Um, if you're not going to get palpation done, and there are some areas of Kentucky that, uh, that they're just not, um, uh, live or, or large animal veterinarians available for palpation. Um, we do have blood sampling techniques that, uh, that we teach, um, and that are, are very accurate, um, close to 100% accurate, uh, on pregnancy, uh, can't really give you stage of gestation, but it can give you pregnant or open. Yes or no. And <coughs> excuse me. And for most uh, producers, that's good enough, Dr. Von Cooler. Is she pregnant? Is she open? It takes, uh, you got, it, the, the animals have to be at least 72 days from their previous calf. Okay, so. 72, 72 days away from when they cab before um, you take the blood sample because the, the hormone stays in the bloodstream 72 days after calving. And then 26 days from the current calf. So in other words, you bred her, you got to wait at least 26 days before the pregnancy test is valid. And if you're, when it, after that 26 days, um, it is close to 100% accurate. Very easy to do. We have a nice video of it, uh, of how to take a blood sample on our uh, YouTube page there. So if you go to the Department of Animal and Food Science uh, web page, uh, YouTube page, or right there, there's a, there's a nice little 10-minute, 15-minute video on how to take a blood sample and, and, and get it prepared for... Um, uh, the pregnancy test. Then you'll send it into a company like the Diagnostic Lab, or um, um, there's two or three other places uh, in in Kentucky that you can send those to and get those back quickly. And again, it's very accurate. So for just a regular Joe Blow, I think the the blood sampling technique is pretty good. If you have a a great uh, vet client relationship. Uh, I would absolutely have your vet come out and get your palpations done. Cost cost wise, we're probably not talking a whole lot of different costs. If you've got a um, good kind of setup and you can keep cows flowing through for the veterinarian to to check them, and they're pretty quick at doing that, right? 
No, oh, yeah, yeah. There, it's it's not a it's not a long process at all. Um, the only issue with cost is if you just have two or three cows, and so he'll need you know you'll have the vet ch- trip charge that you'll have to add in with that. But if you can combine, you know, your pregnancy palpation with some other herd work, then that'll help keep that that vet charge down. You know, or you'll spread that over a variety of of uh, uh, techniques instead of just bringing the bringing your veterinarian out and just do the pregnancy palpations. Um, for most people, let me get rid of this stupid cat. He's driving me crazy. I don't know if you can hear him, but he's driving me up the dang wall. Oh yeah, I hear your cat. Did you hear that cat squall as that kid threw him out the door? Gosh, you're rough. Son of a butt. I didn't realize you had dogs and cats in the house. You're ready to resume. I don't have dogs anymore. Mm. Oh, did Lindsay take her pup back? Yep, yep. That that dog's gone. Mm. So, um... That's that's time for you to get another one then. <laughs> no, I don't think Char- so. Charlie's going to need a pup. Well, Charlie can have a pup down at wherever Charlie's at. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's see where were we at. Um, Preg check talking about pop happening. Um, all right, let's let's just uh, roll on through here real quick then. Um, all right, Dr. Anderson, a lot of times folks are, are kind of thinking about um, how they might pull some of these late cabin cows up and maybe shorten that breeding season. You know, you mentioned 70 days with the bull. Um, that would be one way to shorten that uh, calving season up. But if I, if I just don't have a pen and um, I've got some cows maybe that have fallen back, you know, it's not uncommon to see a cow calf, you know, almost a month later than she did last year. And what are some tools or strategies I have to, to bring those cows back together? The most profitable tool that we can employ in commercial beef cow calf operations is estrus synchronization. I, we synchronize everything. And I'll, you know, when getting the cows bred is, is, is up to, up, you know, that's, you know, either AI or natural service. I don't care. But all the cows need to be synchronized. And what the synchronization does, that stimulates the cow coming to heat earlier in the breeding season than she, than biologically she was perhaps prepared to do. Um, and then that, that shifts our calving season so that we have a higher proportion of our cows calve in that first 30 to 40 days. And uh, by synchronization, really what I'm talking about is either uh, feeding MGA for seven days before we turn the bull out um, or inserting a cedar device in those cows for seven days before we turn the bull out. Um, We target (laughs) the later calving and and, and younger cows in in the cow herd for these treatments. And so, for instance, just thinking about 
uh, a fall calving herd. If I had cows that calved in September, October, November, and I'm turning the bull out on December the 1st, those September calving cows don't really need much help, Dr. Lemcooler. They will have gone through their period of anesthesia. They will have had a cycle or two, and they're prepared and ready for the bull. So they don't really need any additional treatment. Those October calving cows are, are, are rushing to recycle. And in the fall, you could actually convince me that all the way up through maybe mid-October, we still got time for those cows to resume estrus on their own because postpartum anesthesia is just a little shorter in the fall. It just That's just part of nature, part of biology, a little shorter in the fall. But I still think that uh, it, it's a pretty sound practice to consider those October calvers as, as difficult breeders and to go ahead and treat them with, uh, treat them with the cedar device. And so I, let's say uh, we're going to put the uh, bull out with the cows on uh, November the 30th, okay? Um, then what we'll want to do is pull the cedar devices on no- November 29th, Put the cedar devices in November 22nd, and we will very effectively synchronize those October calving cows to come into estrus early in that first breeding season, um, and and not in their first breeding season, but come in in estrus early in the breeding season, and um, and we'll have a great opportunity to get them pregnant in the first 30 days. Your November calving cows are, are a little bit more of a challenge. Um, hopefully, you know, makes it easier if if the the producer has a calving pin and a and a and a post calving pin, um, so that they he's moving the cows that have calved into a lot where they get a little where they're getting their extra nutrition. Uh, if they have a couple of pins, then. As those November cows calve, you you leave them over in the maternity ward, I guess, and uh, give them at least two weeks. Insert the cedar device for seven days, pull the cedar device, and then move them over into the breeding pastures. And we've got data on on, on almost three hundred animals now, uh, where we're able to induce estrus and uh, conception even. Uh, within the, the first 30 days of the breeding season using that protocol, and it's been very effective. The The nice thing with that, I mean, you mentioned lots, but um, in rea- all reality, we can do this with pastures, and it would work pretty well if we think about this, the old Sandhills um, kind of calving system where cows that have calved are being moved forward, and, and we can continue to separate those cows and um, that have calved. and You've got basically your group that's left that's a little later. That's easy then to move over to um, the working facilities and put the cedar device in or pull in a feed bunk and give some MGA or something like that. Yeah, it, uh, I, I really like many of the con- concepts of the Sandhills calving system. Um, some of our operators don't have enough lots for that. But a little bit of polywire and a little bit of thought, you could actually get more done than what people uh, uh, just a little bit of planning, a little 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 bit of polywire, and you could you could have situations set up where you could uh, um, keep your 
postpartum cows separated from your prepartum cows and uh and and help manage those two very different biological groups yeah but just a little planning and and probably the bigger thing is is to be honest water you know and and with some of our cost share opportunities uh, we're not talking a huge investment to run another water out into a pasture no, so, not a huge um, investment, but a big turnout, you know, a big ability to, to help capture efficiency. Exactly. There's a lot of concern I think you get all the time. You mentioned, um, quote unquote, the birth control for cows to get them synced and, and get them uh, coming into estrus at the same time. Then are you going to overpower the bulls and what kind of cow to bull ratio should you be thinking about if you're going to implement synchronization protocols. We have data on over 10,000 breeding situations that we've, because we've been doing this since 2001. And I've used bull to cow ratios all the way as small as one to 23 up to one to 42. Always using experienced bulls. Always using bulls that pass the BSE, and always using bulls with at least a 35 centimeter scrotum. And so, with those bulls, we have never seen an issue with bull to cow ratio. That would—that's the first thing you 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 would think of is, oh man, all these cows are coming in heat, going to overwork my bulls. That's and that was that was our first thought too, and it did simply doesn't happen very often. Um, there's actual research out of uh, Australia that demonstrates that their average bull can breed 11 cows a day. Their exceptional bulls can breed over 20 cows a day. But if the average bull can breed 11 cows in a single day, then that pretty that, that, that covers a lot of our situation. I mean, it really does. It, it cut, particularly if you're strategically applying um, uh, the cedars and only getting the cows that are later calving and your two-year-olds uh, treated, then you're not, you know, you got 30 cows, you're, you're not going to have more than 11 cows in heat on one single day, most likely. And so it seems like a lot, but you're, you're, you're condensing his work. And then also, just to be honest, the most exciting day in that bull's life is the day you turn him out with cows, right? I mean, he's ready to go. You know, uh, two months later, he might not be quite as excited as he is the first day you turn him out. And so, you know, we it seems to be that uh, those bulls, we have not seen a situation where bulls can't get the job done. Now, we've had bulls that were very marginal on their BSEs that the Producers decided to go ahead and use, and that never works, Doctor Lim. If you've got to take a bull back three or four times, and you get him, he finally passes. Don't turn that bull out with thirty synchronized cows. It's not going to work. And we can't forget about the bull either, though, right? I mean, you you need to make sure that we're going back in and and watching and making sure that he's not getting lame and some of the other issues. So 
I mean, that's that's probably another mistake that we see sometimes, right? Definitely got to keep your eyes on it. It doesn't take long uh, before, um, you know, if if a multiple bull kind of a herd situation, it doesn't take long where you see an injury come up. Yeah, about a th- if you're using multiple sire mating systems, about a third of the bulls that you turn out are going to come back clean. Yeah, if, if, so, if data holds true. Right. It'll catch up to you sometime, right? Maybe not yeah. this year. Definitely. All right. Well, I think that's some pretty good pointers on folks to, to think about as we move into um, this time of the year and trying to improve reproductive efficiency. And the reason we really hammer on that, and uh, I think as we remember the old standardized performance analysis data that was collected from several states, um, that, that major profit driver is pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed to the bull. And we always forget about that, and we never include the open cows that we sell off. And you know, if we if we go through our fall preg check and we're running, you know, twenty percent opens, we forget about those twenty percent that we sold off maybe as open cows, and we go back to that weaning ratio where we had ninety plus percent. Yeah, the 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 calves that are weaned have to pay for all the cows that were in the breed in the breeding season you know and a lot of times those open cows are still in the herd when you're weaning those calves and so you fed them for seven eight months with no product and somebody's got to pay for that and the only way to pay for that is through the sale of your weaned calves so you you've got to you've got to divide by the number of cows exposed to the bull, if you really want to measure your efficiency. It's a good point. Uh, You mentioned it a while ago. um, You mentioned this video series you've got going on, the the I Bought a Farm, Now What? So give us a quick update on or an overview of what that is and uh, give us a quick update on where we're at in that series. You bet. Um, You know, uh, when COVID hit, I was, you know, first of March when it kind of really started impacting most of our society. I just happened to have a uh, a friend of mine um, that had some property that they'd just uh, gotten a hold of. And uh, he, uh, you know, the funny thing, you, you know, people in different areas of your life. And, and anyway, he says, you're, you're in ag, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm in ag. He goes, we just got this farm. We need, we want to do something with it, and you know we got to got to make a little bit of money. You know, at least once out of every three years, you got to make money, right? You know, for tax purposes, and uh, and so right then, we I think Jeff, all of us were panicking on how we were going to deliver uh, extension education, and so I thought, well, you know, this might be a really nice little kind of discovery type video series where we, you know, and we get these questions all the time, you know, what can I do with this property I just bought? And so um, I just started working them through the standard sets of 
decisions that you have to make to try to get something out of a piece of property. And and since, you know, we're beef cattle guys, uh, you know, our our logic model pushed us towards beef cattle. Uh, this is this was a hill farm, and so there was one small little piece up on top of the ridge that that had been used for tobacco in the past that could probably still be planted in corn or something, but it's only three or four acres, and so it's really not hardly worth uh, worth pulling the equipment in there for. And so it uh, we started uh, we bought a set of calves, um, bought a set of heifers to give us the flexibility. Uh, for our, our our marketing plan, and we just started to, we set up rotational grazing systems. We did all the things that you have to do to to try to make a little money on a piece of property. And um, currently, you know, we, we bought those heifers in um, the 1st of April, um, and it's now October the 13th. Uh, we put a couple hundred pounds on them on grass. We've had some, I thought, some really good short. Well, some of them aren't super short, but some uh, good videos on how to utilize and implement a rotational grazing system. And you know, our Jeff, I know you know, uh, our system isn't perfect out there. You know, we've had to make a lot of adjustments as we go, just because we got one consistent water source and. Everything revolves around water, and you know they may get some equip money or or some cape money to help put more waters out for next year. But but right now, you know we we had the one, and we had to manage around that. And uh, these heifers were middle of October. Um, what I have to do now is we've got to put up a temporary working facility, get those heifers uh, put through the that system. Um, and so there's several good videos there on, you know, the design and build of a, of a working facility that, that, you know, isn't permanent. Um, and then we got to work those heifers and prepare them for breeding. We're going to, if we end up breeding them, we'll probably breed them around the 1st of December, plus or minus. Uh, I'm going to have Dr. Uh, Burdine on here in another couple of weeks to talk about what our what our options are right now to capture value um and then talk to the owners if if we're going to be able to to very safely capture three hundred dollars a head that might be our, our best decision and they may want to do that if they want to push ahead and try to get these heifers bred and sell them as bred heifers and and gamble a little bit that the bread heifer market's going to be good in the spring then we'll we'll push forward and do that um but it's just kind of a discovery thing just trying to handle problems each week as they come up and put it on video and um honestly it's not a very professionally shot video and uh um so if if you can bear not have, if, if you can bear watching something that's not uh doesn't have the perfect uh, aesthetic uh, and of course, me in front of a camera is not perfect aesthetic either. And so, uh, uh, if you can bear all that stuff, I think there's some pretty good information in there. It's practical. It's real world. It's not the Cadillac system, if you will. And and you've made it work, right? Well, I mean, that's you know, 
not too many of us can do Cadillacs, just to be honest about it. I mean, in the cattle cattle business, there's just not we're more we're more uh, 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 Volkswagen bugs than we are Cadillacs, I think. And that's that's where we are on this deal. I mean, this is just a let's do the best we can with what we got, and you know, that's it's been a fun series to do. There's 27 videos now. I'll have another one out this week. Um, some of them are, I mean, bluntly, some of them are kind of boring. I mean, you just kind of going out looking at the heifers, making sure they're healthy and looking through them and listening to me whine about hair coat and all that stuff. But, uh, um, yeah, there's going to be some action here coming up the next month and a half, uh, particularly if we decide to, br- to breed these heifers. Cause you know, since I'm an AI guy, I'll probably go ahead and try to sync them up and AI them. And, um, you mentioned the lack of rain we've had here lately. Uh, you know, it gets to you when you're trying to run grass, right? You know, absolutely. Sudden, your opportunity to for grass growth is is cut down to nothing. Now you're you're thinking about feeding hay and and dumping a little supplement in and all that other stuff. And we have uh, been very limited in our input costs so far, but that's just about that's about to go up. So. Um, thanks to Mother Nature, we uh, we're going to have to start putting a little bit more feed in these in these efforts. But that brings up a really good point that sometimes we forget about, uh, and that is you, you still have options. You've got options to go in and call off the bottom end that maybe wouldn't make good cows to reduce your stocking rates, and then that gives you a little reprieve on your forages and end up with maybe a better bred heifer at the end of the day. Yeah, and at least a better group of bread heifer. Because we've got, we, I mean, we have a pretty good spread in in weights right now. I've got heifers that are, you know, eight eight fifty, and I've got heifers that are six. You know, a little hard to group those rascals up, just to be honest about it. And uh, um, it, it's a uh, if you can make two hundred ahead. Take 200 ahead rather than trying to go for 300. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just have to take the money and run. Absolutely. One of our colleagues has a really good saying about that. And, uh, you know, you got you to let, let it sink in a minute. But he told me, he says, Les, you got to remember all hogs get slaughtered. <laughs> if you think about it, if you're trying to be a, a money hog. Sooner or later, you're gonna get, you're gonna get, you're gonna get the shank. And yeah, uh, I think it's probably a pretty good uh, philosophy when you're in this. If you if you've got a guaranteed three hundred dollar profit, that might not be a bad place to stop. You know what I mean? It would be hard pressed to re- routinely repeat that year in year out, group after group. Yeah. I mean, what we have right now is we have minimized our inputs. And we, I think I told you the other day, we have, I mean, less than $10 a head in them currently. Um, and that, you know, we got really lucky. You know, we bought well, bought from their great source. We have, we, we got really lucky. Um, knock on wood, by golly. You know, um, 
And so we've been able to minimize our inputs. And if, if your inputs are low and you bought them reasonable, you got a chance, right? And, Absolutely. And that's where we're at right now. And so it's going to be, going to be fun putting a pencil to the rest of this to see because the inputs are now getting ready to go up. Are we going to be able to offset that? You know what? It doesn't look like the market is, is going to be very favorable for us in the next couple of months. Just, just on a feeder calf basis. The futures, I think I, I mentioned to you the other day, the, the, on the Chicago Board of Exchange, the futures all the way out to uh, March are pretty flat. You know, we're not, we're, we're basically looking at this, at the same price from now through then on those 750 pound, you know, feeder steer on that, that feeder calf futures. And, um, if that's the case, there's no reason to put more feet into them, right? So, yep, it makes it hard to recover your inputs. Yep. Now, at the end of the day, that you know, you always have to question too is, um, you know, can you put together a group of heifers and get them marketed um, to capture the premium that they should deserve? And that's the other thing is. The develop the marketing strategy. Sometimes we forget about that part, and if we can find a good uh, market for them, you have a better chance than just saying, "Oh, I'm going to breed them and then hope somebody wants to buy them next spring." Yep. Well, Doctor Anderson, uh, we sure do appreciate all the good input on the reproductive strategies to try and increase our efficiencies. With the lower profit margins, which it seems to be like we're at right now and, and maybe in the near future, everything we can do to um, improve our reproductive efficiency should add to our bottom line. No doubt. So uh, we, we thank you for sharing all that with us today. Uh, again, this has been uh, the Beef Bits podcast through the University of Kentucky and the Extension Beef Group. Uh, we hope you'll join us next uh, time. We'll uh, follow up on some additional beef cattle management discussion. And uh, everybody have a great day. And again, thanks, Dr. Anderson, for all your input today. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>